Good morning, Mr. Broke, who happens to not be super broke. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> Good. And I'm so glad that you are taking the time to come on. I'm really excited for this one. And I'm sure many people listening feel the same. So for someone who somehow doesn't know who you are at this point, could you give a brief intro about what your background is and how you ended up on this corner of the internet? Sure, sure. Yeah, first, I want to apologize. I'm hoping everybody can endure my uh, country accent. You know, I, I sometimes hear my voice in a recording after I talk and I'm like, oh my gosh, I sound like such a country bumpkin, you know, <laughs> living in the South. So so hopefully some people can can get past that and listen a little bit. But um, I ended up on Twitter. I, I, I set up a Twitter account, gosh, uh, years ago, just to, you know, follow the news and things like that. And I was still in my corporate job. Uh, and then, you know, uh, just started following more Twitter stuff, uh, probably within the past six months. And somehow, I can't even remember how, but I came across a Bowtie Bull account. Um, and he, that individual had posted something about real estate. And I commented uh, that I disagreed. And instead of, you know, blasting me and, or something like that, he, he sent me a private direct message. And because I, in my profile at the time, I had, you know, uh, like just kind of my business ventures and real estate and Amazon and W2. And, and he, he sent me a very respectful reply, like, hey, I'm just trying to see, you know, kind of your side of this, uh, you know, uh, kind of tweet that I, I put out. Mm -hmm. uh, why do you why do you disagree with it? And so we got kind of a back, just a back and forth DM dialogue. Um, you know, and I, I was just really, you know, kind of caught off guard. I, I noticed on Twitter, everything's so vitriolic, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes and people just blast, you know, like another person if they disagree. But Bull was really respectful, really wanted the insight, you know, my side of things and really, you know, kind of listen. And so I started giving, I gave him a follow and then I'd you know, occasionally tweet on his stuff about real estate and then he'd retweet my stuff and and, uh, you know, it kind of took off from there. Um, I, I changed my handle to, you know, go anonymous just because I, I felt I could speak more freely, mm -hmm. you know, about my, my prior corporate job, you, you know, uh, without giving, you know, my company that I work for away and, and my real estate stuff, you know, and all that. And then just the rest is history. I mean, I think I had like two or 300 followers a couple of months ago, and now I'm at like 18,000, which is <laughs> insane. You know, I'm like... Golly, who, who would have thought posting pics of a liter of Fireball and Swisher Sweet, you know, would, would attract so many people. But that, that, that's kind of, I mean, it's literally taken off within the past four to five months, like mind boggling. And now if I, I see what, you know, I've watched, I have three teenage daughters and they're always staring at TikTok and Instagram and things like that. And I'm like, I always tell them, get off your phone, get off your phone. You know, why do you stare at it so much? But, oh, my goodness, I see what the dopamine addiction is <laughs> for the likes with, like, Twitter. You know, I am constantly, like, to the point where I've got to set time limits on how much time I spend on Twitter now. So <laughs> it's, it's the dopamine addiction is real. I'll say that. <laughs> I completely agree with that. And I do think it's really interesting how the jungle audience or the jungle members are a little bit older than the social media mm -hmm. generation. And I'm yeah. just imagining if my dad was in the jungle and it would be non-stop like he monitors oh, yeah. the athletic for his sports teams like crazy oh, wow. and he'd be yeah. doing the same thing with twitter so i think it's hilarious yeah. to see the yeah. the different generations but um crazy. i posted a little while a while back i posted a tweet like twitter is the adult tiktok 100%, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. um your account blew up because you are obviously extremely knowledgeable in real estate which i think when mm -hmm. people think about getting rich they're like real estate's the way to go. I'll make my own money yeah. and then I'll invest right. and then it will be completely passive income. Don't right. even need to look at it. Just printing money on the side. That's how yeah. I become rich. Um, but yeah. you didn't start in real estate. You started flipping products on eBay and Amazon. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? Actually, I started at a W-2. You, right. you know, I um, you had a job. Uh, I had... I had made some really bad decisions in real estate in 2003 time period. Uh, got upside down with some properties in South Florida, some rental properties, 
had foreclosures, deed in lieu of foreclosures, but, but I had my corporate job at the time. And I was, you know, I was, I wasn't high level at that time, but I was probably mid-level, you know, in corporate back in 2003, 2004 time period. So, you know, I was bringing in, you know, six figure, in, low six figure income then, but, you know, having five to 10 rental properties in Miami and Naples, Florida and Fort Myers, you know, things can get bad fast. And they did for me. So I had started, I was traveling with my corporate role uh, in 2006. Uh, and I was down in Florida, coincidentally. Um, and I was sitting in the hotel room, uh, watching the news. I was just kind of bored, you know, I had to be at an office the next morning for the company I worked for. And was watching the news and the PS3 had, was just being released. And up in New York, the new the journalist was, you know, filming people outside of the, the giant Toys R Us that used to be in New York. Um, There's some Toys R Us up there. And she was interviewing uh, people standing in line waiting for the PS3. You know, and, and they were going down the line and like people were like, you know, I got to have this thing. I'm a gamer, dude. You know, I was like, oh, idiot. You know, kinda, I mean, who would who would wait 24 hours in a tent, you know, waiting for the PS3, bunch of morons. So, so she got she got to like the number, the 10th person that she was interviewing or, the you know, somewhere around there. And the guy was like, well, uh, I'll flip stuff on eBay and I'll pay $399 for the basic model PS3 and I'll get $1,200 for it tomorrow. So I was like, you know, I've always been kind of an entrepreneur. I was selling candy and blow pops and, mm -hmm. you, you know, uh, stuff on the bus in the fifth grade and sixth grade, you know. Uh, so I, I always had that kind of entrepreneur spirit, but I ended up getting sucked into the W-2, uh, you know, grind. You know, you got to go to college. You got to mm -hmm. get a degree. You got to go work in an office for someone, you know, and then retire at 60. And, and so I got sucked into that, but I've always kind of had the entrepreneur spirit kind of lurking inside. So when I saw that inter that guy respond with, I'll flip this thing for $1,200. Coincidentally, I, I was staying at the hotel. There was a Walmart right across the street. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to try it. I'm bored. You, you mm -hmm. know, I can just, you know, uh, go in late tomorrow if I need to. Uh, so I went to the Walmart, uh, sat on the ground outside with the 20 other people that were sitting there. Um, and I was, and I was thinking like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm you know, I'm in my, I was in my thirties at the time, you, you know, in like my early thirties. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, this is crazy. Um, so I'm sitting there and, and as fate would have it, I sat by a school teacher and he told me, I mean, we're sitting there for, you know. 12 to 20 hours. I can't remember how long it was at this point, but he told me, you know, so when you're sitting next to someone you don't know and outside of a Walmart, you know, with people walking by looking at you, you, you ended up trying not to focus on the people staring at you, but you focus on the person next to you and try to keep the conversation going. So I, um, so we're talking and he said that, yeah, yeah, my wife and I do this like, you know, quite a bit. We do it, but we teach, you know, during the school year, but then we flip toys uh, part-time and that pays for family vacations. It paid for, you know, a small boat that I bought, paid for this, paid for that. And so he's, so I, I'm getting 12 hours of tips from this guy who had done it for <laughs> five to six years. And this was at the, the beginning of when eBay and Amazon really started kind of, you know, mm -hmm. the retail arbitrage business kind of started taking off. So this was, this would have been 2006. Um, he had been doing it since like 2002 so during 2006, so I'm kind of asking him, I'm like, well, what do you flip? And he's like, well, we'll walk into like Toys R Us and we'll have four shopping cart full of like Tickle Me Elmo dolls. You know, and we'll walk out with those uh, in October and November. And then, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, it is game on. And so he told me about the Tickle Me Elmo doll, the kid or the Fisher Price Kid Tough digital camera was popular back then. You know, uh, the, some baby that used to, you could put a bottle in his mouth and it'd pee and, you know, cry <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, like this little doll. So, so that was 2006 was my first year of trying it out. And I think I made probably, you know, five to $6,000 mm -hmm. profit, you know, that Christmas. And, and I was hooked. You know, I was going through the real estate market in 2007 had started to turn in South Florida 
So my property values and my rent for my properties weren't keeping up with the option arm loans that I had mm. on a lot of my real estate. So I was trying to, you know, supplement the loss of income in real estate with, you know, the eBay income because my, my W-2 was paying for my mortgage, all of our mm -hmm. bills, you know, I just had a baby, you know, and all those expenses. So I was trying to supplement the real estate kind of drop with the eBay stuff. And so that's kind of how, that was the initial, how I got into it. And I just, back then, you know, there was, and there's always, you know, a hot toy out there or a hot thing, you know, back then it was like Beyblade, Bakugan, mm -hmm. I know, remember that kind those. of stuff, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And uh, so I, you know, I'd, I'd focus on selling that, uh, I'd resell GI Joe stuff and it just, you know, and I was on eBay probably for the first five years and my uh, then wife, uh, we're divorced now, but my then wife, she would buy a lot of stuff on Amazon and she kept telling me, you got to move to Amazon. You got to move to Amazon. And eventually I moved to Amazon from eBay to Amazon and it was game on at that point. You know, I started doing million dollar years by myself, you know, not, that's not profit, but that's sales you know so million dollar years and sales by myself out of you know our, our little 1600 or 1800 square foot house mm -hmm. you know that we lived in i'd keep everything in the garage i'd go to my corporate job I, at night i'd work on the ebay and amazon stuff uh, and on the weekends i'd do that as well but that was kind of the segue that got me into the retail arbitrage thing on amazon and ebay was sitting outside of a Walmart for 12 hours, doing, doing eBay for a few years. And then my ex-wife saying, you got to do Amazon, you got to do Amazon. And then the rest is history. <laughs> That's incredible. A million dollars in sales on your own. That's a ton of product. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're moving $10 GI Joe's. That's what I was <laughs> you know, thinking. Yeah, no, I was, was like, that's uh, a lot of product. Uh, Lemmings yeah. was telling me about it because he tried to do some toy flipping and just mm -hmm creating all of these boxes to UPS at 8 a.m. on a Saturday mm -hmm. morning and bringing yeah. in kids swimming pools into his garage up three flights oh, of stairs yeah. or something like that. Like, oh, yeah. so yeah. I mean, so impressed by a million dollars in product, but if with yeah. one person. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. You know, and then I started hiring like the little teenage kids in the neighborhood to help me. It just got <laughs> so, it, it grew so fast, you know, and it's funny, like it takes, you know, somebody posted a comment um about you know uh, I, I gave away like a top secret of how i see what's hot and what's not and i deleted it because people were saying please delete this please delete this you know post you know so that the world doesn't know how you how you do this so so i deleted it but somebody in the comments um you know was like uh you know, how, how'd you do it all on your own? Stuff like that. You know, well, I, I started, it got so, it exploded so fast. I started hiring the kids in the neighborhood to come help me pack and stuff like, you know, things like that. So it just, it, it's a lot of work. And another post, another comment was like, well, you know, with that top secret you released, you know, maybe two people will actually do the work, you know, and I responded, it's so true yeah. because, you know, I, as a, I don't know, something in me, I like to help people. I like to help people succeed. Uh, you know, I like to help people grow financially, you know, emotionally, spiritually, like learn from my mistakes. Don't make the same mistakes I did, you know, growing up and in my twenties and early thirties and stuff, you know, so I've always kind of liked to help people, you know, uh, grow. So when the eBay and Amazon thing really took off, I mean, I was telling my friends, my neighbors, look, you need to do this. You need to get in on this. There's so much money to be made. I mean, people will buy anything on eBay and buy anything on Amazon, you know. And uh, I I trained and showed, you know, relatives and, it, and nobody does it, you know, mm. now. They'd, they'd last three months and then they'd quit because I think people think that retail arbitrage is easy work. It's not easy work. It's a mm -hmm. lot of work, just like anything, you know, it's a lot of work, but if you stick with it, I mean, it can build an empire. It's just the thing. A lot of people don't stick with it long-term. So. And are you still operating a retail arbitrage empire today? I am. I wow. Am. I am. It's uh, it just, it cash flows at about 
40% margin, 30 to 40% margin, you know, and it's like, why, why would I walk away from something like that? It's just <laughs> pure, pure bank deposits every wow. month, you know, and I kind of look at that. That's like the recurring revenue stream for me. I mean, it's there, uh, you know, like we'll ship the stuff off to Amazon, to FBA, you know, that's one of the benefits with Amazon versus eBay is you can ship stuff to their warehouses and they do all the fulfilling. Oh, wow. You know, they, uh, they charge an arm and a leg. Their fees are probably around 35 to 38%. So one of my metrics is if I buy something for $50, it's got to sell for at least $125. Because once Amazon takes their cut, you know, it sells for 125 back out roughly 35% of that. Then that's your, you know, uh, your gross, you know, after Amazon gets theirs and then take out your cost of goods sold and then there's your net. So it's got to be at least two and a half times what I pay for it, uh, for it to be even worth my while. Mm. And are you doing any marketing communications, no. that kind of thing? Or are you just realistic? No, just relisting Am Amazon is its own it's a machine you know it's its own brand everybody goes there it's like I have uh retail space in Walmart or Target right. you know almost being on Amazon so and and honestly Walmart uh dot com is allowing a lot of third-party resellers on there now as well so there's other avenues besides just Amazon and eBay you know Walmart uh, dot com has really tried to break into the Amazon space uh, and has given Amazon a run for their money by allowing a lot of third-party resellers on, mm. on Walmart as well. So there's multiple multiple venues to post things on now. Just out of curiosity, have you ever considered doing an e-commerce branding of your own, selling your own product? Uh, yeah, um, I had a friend, like, you mean private label stuff? Or, or like even just brand? like, you know, Bowtie Broke website. You know, it's with... I've got so many balls I'm juggling with everything going on uh, with the real estate, with my new construction stuff, with my developments, with the Amazon. It's just, there's a time factor involved. Yeah. Um, and, and just the return for me was just not worth the time it was going to take to get that set up. Cause you, you know, then you have to pay for some, you know, traffic to be driven to your yep. site, you know, and things like that. So yeah. you know, for me, it was just so much easier to, send a ton send a million widgets into amazon let them do all the work and be done with it and then i can sit on a beach doing nothing you know and just collect the deposits yep you know. makes a ton of sense it's just something that yep. in the jungle they you know bowtie bull yeah, is really big yeah. on e-com so just wondering what your take yep. was on that so i think maybe we should talk a bit about real estate and your experience with it mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you got into just real estate income properties early on in your mm -hmm. 20s relatively early on mm -hmm. Yeah, by accident, actually. So I, I uh, graduated from college um, and I, I, I lived in Florida. I went to the University of Florida. I graduated from there. And the company I worked for uh, moved me down to Southwest Florida. So like Naples uh, area. So I was, I, I was 23, 24 at the time. And I bought a townhome down in Naples, Florida. And Southwest Florida from pretty much Sarasota, down um it shuts down or it used to shut down during the summer months so you have a big snowbird what we call mm. a snowbird population um you know the, the northeasterners from like new york new jersey those areas they'll take interstate 95 down for the winter and end up in boca fort lauderdale miami so that's mm -hmm. why you get a lot of northeasterners on the east coast of florida you get a lot of midwesterners on the west coast of florida because they take oh. i-75 down like straight through and they end mm -hmm. up in sarasota tampa fort myers naples so you'll see a ton of tags from the midwest down in southwest florida you'll see a ton of tags from the northeast down in southeast florida so it's kind of interesting if you follow the roads you know the interstate systems where it leads to so yeah so i bought a townhome in uh naples florida back in like 2001 um and back then there was no iphone there was a computer but there was no you know not an iphone or anything like that so i would read the paper you know i had the naples daily news delivered you know on the weekends to me um and I was single at the time and I, I would read the paper and I, I'd always been interested in real estate, um, but I was only 23 or 24 at the time. 
and I was flipping through the classified section of the real estate and no, just noticed like a ton of for rent, you know, one month, $5,000, wow. you know, three, three months, $12,000. And so I started researching it a little bit. And what would happen were the snowbirds would come down to South Florida during the winter to escape, you know, the Michigan winters and the Chicago winters and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they, they would rent you know, they wouldn't own a house down there. Some of them, you know, a lot of them owned houses down there, but the majority did not own a house down there. They would just come down and rent for a month to get out of the snow, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they would pay and they were mainly older, you know, 65 years old plus people. And they'd come down to the beach, you know, during the, the you know, pretty much November, December, January, February, and March. And it, it was like, you could like it, that area would just get flooded with with midwesterners so you know I, I was living in my condo or my townhome for about probably a year at the time and i was like you know i'm gonna try this you know and see if i could get any anybody in my condo so back then it wasn't vrbo it was you had to type out vacation rentals by owner in the the thing uh you know so it was like right when vacation rentals by owner was kind of getting started mm. and i and i threw my place on vacation rentals by owner and within a week i had like some inquiries and i started you know and i, I the people would send me like five thousand dollars i'd book their place from like january 1st to january 31st the next old couple would send me another five thousand dollars so I just packed up all my crap, you know, <laughs> and I rented a room from one of my friends that lived down there. And I was like, hey, man, I'm desperate. I, um, you know, I didn't tell him exactly what was going on, but I was like, I need to play. I need a place to stay for about five months. He's like, all right, just pay me 300 bucks a month. Um, you know, you can rent. He had a little house and he's like, I'll charge you rent, half of utilities. I'm like, sold. So. I was paying him 300 a month. I moved out of my place. I was getting 5,000 a month, you know, four to 5,000 a month. Uh, and from then on, I was addicted to real estate. You know, I was like, this is insanity, mm -hmm. you know, that these people are paying me to stay in my little 1100 square foot condo, you know, in Naples, Florida, uh, you know, for five months out of the year, I, I mean, I'm making four to five grand a month. Yeah. So just re renting my place for that short a period of time paid for my mortgage and then some for the whole year. Yeah. So that's what kind of got me started. Well, then, you know, I saw what was going on down there with that. And so I decided, well, let me just go all in. And th that's kind of when the problem started for me is, uh, you know, I started buying more properties and got over leveraged and, you know, the option arm mortgage was all the rage back then. Mm. And I had three option arm mortgages <sighs> uh, and it, it just got really squirrely really fast you know and so that I learned some valuable lessons in real estate and I'd never want to go through those again but that was my foray into real estate was renting out my condo renting out my townhome that I lived in you know uh, first and, and that's why like on Twitter I'm always telling people you know, if you live in a hot area like Vegas or Orlando or New York City, I mean, and it's like, especially if you're in like New York City around New Year's or something like that. Mm. I mean, I'm sure there's restrictions on that, but I mean, you could probably, you know, sneak somebody in, you know, if you're just it <laughs> for a week, you know, but uh, the, I, I highly recommend people that are in areas like that to try out short-term rentals by renting out your own place if you can if you can, you know, if you can do something like that. that, that's how I got started in it. So let's say that I am a 24 year old and I have 50 grand saved up. I don't, but let's say mm -hmm. I was, mm -hmm. would you recommend that person? Is that enough money to say, okay, find your first condo, get a mortgage and use that as rental income property? Is there a certain threshold you need to be at? Is there a certain like risk profile you need that you would recommend before someone does this? I, so looking back on my life, I would always recommend somebody before they start moving into real estate, if they have that much saved up, I would highly recommend starting an online business first, like an eBay or Amazon. See if you mm -hmm. can turn that 50 into 70, you know, just, you know, and then see if you can turn that 70 into a hundred. I don't think 50,000 is enough 
to move into real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you know, with any real estate you're looking at on an investment property, you're, you're going to need 20% down. Um, but some people just say, okay, I just need 20% down. Well, you need reserves as well. Like a lot of reserves, you know, when you're looking at, let's say you buy a, you know, a $300,000 place, which, you know, now low end places are, you know, 250 to 300,000. You'll say you buy a $300,000 place and you need 20%. That's $60,000. Yeah. Now you need another, now you need another 20,000 in reserves just in case the AC breaks or something like that, you know, or something goes wrong. Um, that's a lot of money, you know, for someone to, to kind of put down, uh, all at once, mm-hmm. you know, on, on their first dabble of real estate. So in this market with the interest rates and things like that, you have to be very, very careful, um, because there's not a lot of good deals out there right now. There still are, if you know how to find them, but my recommendation for any newbie, you know, in real estate is just sit tight, you know, until like 2024. I was thinking you're going to, you were going to see a big correction in 2023, but I, I just, I'm not seeing it happening yet in major areas, you know, uh, yet. I mean, my stuff that I build is still selling, you know, for, you know, one and a half million dollars, you know, and, and I'm just not seeing a big correction yet, Yeah. but I think, I think, I'm, I think 2024 is going to be the year where people really start, have to start, you know, selling their properties because they're not cash flowing. Got it. So, so no, $50,000 is not enough put towards real estate right now. Right. Right. I just wanted to see what your take is on that. And everyone always tells me, get your own business going. And from what I read, yeah. um, from your articles that you wrote for BTB, um, mm-hmm. one of the most interesting things was how you had some sort of a Wi-Fi business when the real estate crashed, right? In 2008. Right. And that yep. cash flow was so essential to you to be able to handle that risk and to handle yep. that downturn. So you already had yep. three streams of income and just yep. basically one of them failed for that short yep. period of time. Whereas another person who just does real estate, they're done. The other thing that right. was fascinating was your credit was really affected by real estate Bad. compared Bad. to other businesses. Like if I start a YouTube channel and it fails... I just lost some time. I did nothing. There's no risk at all to that. Whereas mortgage failure, that's something you You, really have to consider. Yeah. You can't even buy a car. You can't get a credit card. I mean, my, my credit and I had always been good with money, you know, like I saved when I was younger because I I grew up, you know, pretty poor. So the value of a dollar was important to me uh, growing up or the the value of stretching a dollar. So I, I was a big saver big, big on credit, you know, um, or big on a high credit score and things like that. My credit was in the high 700s, probably before the, you know, 2005, 2006 time period, it went to like 500 and something afterwards. Yeah. You know, you get hit, you get hit with multiple foreclosures and deed in lieu of foreclosures and things like that. It's just, it's all over. And the problem with ruining your credit uh, with real estate or anything is it's a, there's a seven year recovery period. Yeah. You know, it's, it starts to improve as you, you know, as time passes, when you get to about the three year mark, uh, let's say you have a foreclosure in 2023, you know, at about 2026, you'll start to see a little recovery in your credit score, but, but barely any. And then, you know, it takes literally seven years for that thing to, to fall off. You know, and it's just, you lose a decade of your investment ability if you ruin your credit. That is a very powerful way of putting it. Big opportunity cost there then. Uh, Really interesting that you said you grew up fairly poor and I have a feeling your kids are not growing up fairly poor. How do you teach them about money? What access do you give them? What's your take on that? So they all have to work for me. Um, You know, with the Amazon business, they have to, to work on that a little bit. Um, they have jobs, you know, my, my kids are 16 years old, 14 years old and uh, 12 years old and uh, all three of them work, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like, like, I mean, not, you know, my 16 year old has a regular job, you know, like at a gym. Um, but my 14 and my 12 year old, they'll work for me, you know, helping with the Amazon business. Um, They'll have chores to do that you know, mm-hmm. they get an allowance for and things like that. We don't just throw money their way, uh, you know, and, th- and, and it's kind of, you know, being divorced from their mother, 
you know, we both just sat down and we got on the same page with like, you know, the kind of the money aspect of things mm. is like, you know, nothing in life's free, you know, and we're going to, cause she was, she's from New York and, uh, you know, she was raised in a very poor household as well. And, um, just the, the value that we kind of teach our kids, you know, is like, look, you don't get whatever you want. You know, you, you're going to get a clunker car when you're 16, unless you saved up quite a bit to to help pay for it mm -hmm. you know, things like that so yeah very and, and my kid my my kids won't be getting all of uh my assets when when i die either you know like i have a strategic kind mm. of plan with uh you know how things are going to be they're going to get a certain amount um you know and I, I read a comment i don't know if it was from warren buffett or somebody else but you know leave your kids enough to to do what they want but not do nothing, you know, not like mm -hmm. sit around and be, not sit around and be a bum, you know, as well. So. Yeah. It, you definitely see in the news that the rich trust, trust fund type kids, they always seem to have a big, big trouble in their life because they don't yeah. have a lot to work for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting news. Uh, one day I hope to be able to be in a position where I need to <laughs> think <laughs> about what I can let my kids have and stuff. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, growing up, my parents were very strict about that as well. I think it's very yeah. important. Yeah. Um, so you had this one viral tweet, which I think was a very unique take from the manosphere that I am in a lot these days. <laughs> you yeah. said, you know, people tell men to sample the buffet that is right. available to them. But you right. said you don't just get it out of your system. You actually get it into your system. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about what you mean by that? I think that's a fascinating take. Um, so I, uh, so this is a hard topic for me to talk about, you know, because I really went kind of crazy, um, probably when I hit about 21, when I went to college, when I went off to university of Florida, you know, I really went just out of control, you know, uh, promiscuous, you mm -hmm. know, partying, you know, things like that. Um, you know, I, I think like with that thing with sex um you know what's the closest you can ever be to a human being that you know that that is the closest you can ever be to a person you know and uh i don't think it's just a physical act i feel it's like an emotional act a spiritual act now that i've aged looking back it's just you know uh you know there's so much more to that that act than just physical and back then I had kind of regarded it as just a physical act and it became so, you know, just bland, you know, the more partners I had, you know, the more bland it became, it was just, just like holding hands, you know, I mean, yeah. sex became like, sex became like holding a hand or kissing or something like that. It was just, it was just a, a conquest. It was a, just a, uh, an act, you know, to satisfy an adrenaline rush or a dopamine rush. And I, I really, you know, the more I've read about it, you know, um, the more I, I see, you can really reprogram your brain. If you have a lot of partners um, to just crave that dopamine surge, you know, and crave that adrenaline rush of that new, new partner. And I think, as a young person looking back, man, you know, you, you get to the end of your life, you know, and I'm only in my forties, you know, my, my late forties, but you get to the, to, towards my age and older, you start looking back on your life thinking, you know, if I only knew then what I know now, you know, and that's one big thing with me is like, I, I think I got addicted to that validation. I got addicted to the sex. I got addicted to the affirmation I was getting, you know, from girls and it kind of carried with me, you know, it's hard to break that, that cycle. And, and it got to the point where, you know, I got married, had three kids. Um, then, you know, they, they say there's the seven year itch, you know, you get in a marriage mm -hmm. and, uh, I got the seven year itch and, you know, I blew up my marriage and, you know, uh, once it starts, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a very slippery slope and, and I don't attribute me, you know, blowing up my marriage 
just to what you know I did in my 20s but I think a lot of it a lot of my psyche and brain were programmed back then to just it's no big deal you know it's it's just a physical thing it's just you know just have as many partners as you want and and I racked up a lot of partners back then, you know, and it just, it just changed how I kind of looked at sex, you know, it changed how I looked at that. And, and I, I firmly disagree with get it out of your system, you know, like, because it, 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 you, you know, just like with a drug, you know, just like with gambling, just like with, you know, alcohol, you, you, some people say party, 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 and drink as much as you want while you're in college. I, do you know how many alcoholics are formed when they're in college? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you, you don't get that kind of stuff out of your system. You get it in your system. So, I mean, that was that was kind of my take on it. I completely agree with you, and I find it to be a very refreshing thing to say and very, very honest. Um, yeah. I'm a lot of the videos I make is about the manosphere, just, mm-hmm. just like the advice that they give young men. And a lot of times they'll say women can't engage in that behavior, but men should. And I think that if it's bad for women, it's most likely bad for men as well. Yeah. Well, um, what's the difference? Do you, do, you, do you think there's a, do you think there's a gene in a man that makes them any different, you know, and how they, how their brains respond there? There's no brain gene in a man yeah. that says they're not, they're not going to be affected by this the same way, you know, totally. women, women are emotional and you get emotional attachments and men sometimes don't have that. But from a changing your brain makeup, from changing your dopamine, from changing your adrenaline need, there's, there's no difference. There's no gene that's a differentiator between a a man and a woman that says men aren't affected by that. They want take it from a man. 100% you will be. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think that there's this idea that that's the peak of masculinity is being able to do that. And so if you have the option to do that, you should do it because that's proof that you are the guy, the man, when in the long run, perhaps, you know, it's not what's best for you, as you just described. So I think it's very admirable. Having three daughters really changed my perspective as well. You know, I always think, man, I, I just, I hope they don't end up with somebody like me you know like how i was you know mm. back then it just you know having three having daughters kind of from a man's standpoint really changes you know kind of how you look at casual sex so to speak yeah i i just really appreciate you being honest with that oh, um yep. so do you think another thing that i read a lot is that young men shouldn't get married do you think men should get married today um you know the iphone has made it so much easier to cheat um in today's society, like, uh, heck, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, if you wanted to cheat, you know, you had to like sneak to a hotel or something. I mean, now you can carry around a Rolodex in your pocket of apps and things like that. And, you know, I I don't know the answer to that question. Everybody has to answer that on their own. You know, I don't want to give a blanket statement on something like that. Um, I think before a person does get married, they need to examine themselves, like truly examine themselves and say, look, am I a, am I addicted to sleeping around? You know, there's actually questionnaires, you know, online to see if you're to see if you're addicted to sex, you know, or see if you're addicted to gambling or, or drug. If, if you have a big vice uh, that is controlling you, I do not think you should get married. You know, just don't put someone, don't put your children through that, you know, pain and that misery, you know, of, of you know, doing that, you know, to them. I mean, I, probably one thing I will 100% remember on my deathbed is the day that my ex-wife and I told my three daughters, and this was years, I mean, they were like young at the time, uh, told my three daughters that we were getting a divorce. My oldest started crying, then my middle started crying, and then my youngest started crying. My youngest was only like five at the time. She didn't know what, really, she didn't know what she was crying about, but it's because her two sisters were crying. And it's like, you know, if you, if you, are super promiscuous in college and super promiscuous in your, your later, you know, twenties and thirties. I mean, why get married and put someone through that, put children through that kind of, kind of lifestyle or through yeah. that, that trauma. You know, so, so it's, a, it's an individual decision. Um, if, if a person has an addiction, 
even if they don't want to call it an addiction, if they want to call it a, I'm a real man, you know, cause I'm doing all this, you know, you're going to be in for a very rude awakening when the realities of marriage settle down, you know, and you get over the honeymoon phase for the first year or two, you know, and then the, the everyday life with that partner is there, you know, whether you're, you're straight or gay, you know, like, I mean, you live with someone for multiple years, it gets sometimes mundane, you know, and then sometimes those demons kind of start to rear their ugly heads, unfortunately. You know? yeah. So, so, so if a person has that, they either need to get help before they get married or just don't get married. Yeah. On the same topic, if someone did decide to get married, prenup or no prenup? Um, depends on the asset levels. Um, I am a firm believer in a prenup for second third and fourth marriages <laughs> you know they like like I, I have i'm only on my second but i haven't been married four <laughs> times but you know the more the more marriages you have you're not good at marriage you know like <laughs> pr protect what you've got you know if you've worked your whole life i mean i know some people that have been married like four and five times you know and, and just like they get a prenup every time you know for that reason on a first marriage um if you came from a super wealthy family and you have a lot of assets that your family have given you or you know inheritance is usually shielded you yeah. know uh during divorce but but you just you never know if you do get a divorce if that person's going to try to come after some of that inheritance if it's 20 years later or mm. something like especially if it's a big inheritance you know and things start to get commingled so if you claim if there's two disparities in the relationship I advise a prenup, you know, it just it cuts back on the headache. I mean, you know, and, and I hate to be like chicken little, you know, say the sky is falling. But I mean, if you look at the statistics today, yeah. most marriages do end in divorce, you know, like <laughs> at least one. So, I mean, why not just be a little bit prepared to make the divorce go smoother? You know, I, uh, I have a friend in Georgia uh, who got a divorce um and he had a he was a doctor and uh he had a medical uh practice and he spent a million dollars in his divorce uh and it actually set state precedent <laughs> you know uh <laughs> it, it was appealed and then his ex-wife appealed and then it, they went back they spent a million dollars on that divorce oh you know so so it all depends you know on the situation but if you have a high net worth difference i highly recommend a prenup and i know that was a very long answer to the simple question but no it's, no it's, kind of, it's a complicated question yeah i i understand the difference in the assets like for a first marriage between two 23 year olds that don't have anything to like it just seems a bit bizarre to ask yeah, for one yeah. um, especially if you're getting married yeah. and you're in love and you're planning to separate your ten thousand dollars in your bank account that right. you have but right. but I mean, right. at, at a different level, that makes sense, especially if you have yeah. family income. So that, that makes yeah. sense to me. Yep. Um, I used to think like, of course you get a prenup so that the other person knows you're not in it for the money. But now right. I've been reading about it and that's a way out. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, there's a, there's yeah. a deal side there, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, let's see here. Anything else you wanted to really talk about that you can't talk about on Twitter well in a long time? Um, so one one of the things you had asked in the pre-questions was how I got back into real estate uh -huh. after my debacle of, you know, 2008, you know, nine, all those foreclosures. Um, I, you know, uh, was going to mention that. Yeah. Um, so I had the Amazon business going. I had the, the W-2, you know, going from my corporate job. Um, so I had two those two streams of income, but I've always been a big proponent of you need three streams of income, you know, if you want to succeed. Some some people believe in having tons of dividend income, a W-2 and something else and like real estate. Some people mine happened to be Amazon, the W-2, and then I needed to replace it. You know, I needed to to get another third kind of going. So I started dabbling in real estate again. Um I, you know, I kind of, my credit had been repaired around 2015, 16 time period um, from, you know, all the foreclosures I had from 2008, nine. So I took my kids, I had just gone through a divorce and I took my kids 
uh, to like the Smoky Mountain. Pigeon Forge is a big tourist mm. area, you know, down in the southeast. And so I took my kids to Pigeon Forge, uh, you know, I had them for like a holiday or something. And we stayed in a little cabin and I paid like $1,200 for four days in that cabin. And it, it wasn't a great cabin. It was a little crappy two-bedroom cabin with a pull-out couch, you know. And so <laughs> I, I, I looked on Zillow, um, you know, how much the guy paid for it. And he had paid like $130,000 for it. So I'm doing the math in my head and I'm thinking, okay, I just paid for a weekend $1,200. I paid his mortgage on a $130,000 cabin, mm-hmm. you know, pr- probably for at least two months. And I'm just renting it for three days. So I looked at the calendar, how booked it was. And he was just slam booked. And I'm like, this guy's making, you know, six grand, a, you know, a month, you know, on and, it, and his mortgage is probably 700 a month or 800 a month. Right. So I called, you know, the kind of the bug hit me. I, I started getting flashbacks, you know, to my, my condo I rented where I'd get five grand a month, you know, way back in uh, 2001, 2002 time period. So I called a real estate agent in Tennessee and uh, just started investing in short-term rentals at that point. Um, and, you know, they cash flowed so much better. When I had all my real estate in South Florida after my townhome, I started investing in, you know, things that I'd do long-term rentals with, you know, having like an annual lease. And so they just didn't cash flow as well, which has kind of led to my my catastrophe back then because I was getting, you know, nine hundred dollars a month in rent, and my mortgage would adjust to fourteen hundred dollars with the mm. option arm thing. So, you know, when I got in the short term rentals though, uh, uh, in like two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen, the cash flow was just so much better, you know, uh, with that. So I started scaling. You know, I got one. That led to getting number two, that led to getting number three. And I got up to like, you know, almost 10 short-term rentals, um, you know, and then uh, they just were, were cash flowing significantly to the point where they had replaced my W-2 income. And I was kind of at that point able to walk away from my W-2 mm-hmm. job uh, and just go into real estate and Amazon full-time. And what were some of the key differences that you made from your previous you stint in real estate to the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not get over leveraged. I mean, if that if I didn't have a significant amount of cash to put down on the property, um, and it the numbers weren't just stellar, uh, I didn't do it. With long term rentals that I had back in you know oh five oh six oh seven time period, um, the cash I was only cash flowing even with the option arm loan. You know, if my mortgage was, you know, $700 a month and I'm getting 900, I mean, I'm cash flowing $200 a month. That's not mm-hmm. it, any, any blip whatsoever, or the person moves out, you know, I mean, that's just not a lot. It, it wasn't worth my time, you yeah. know, doing that. And I know some people have like hundreds of doors, you know, with long-term rentals and they cash flow a lot, but they have hundreds of doors, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I just... I didn't want to be like this math long-term rental owner. So the big thing back then is I got A, over leveraged, but B, I got into the short-term rental market the second time around, which produced significant cash, more probably 10 times the cash flow that long-term rentals did back in uh, 05, 06 time period. You've mentioned the option R mortgages a lot. Do you think, mm-hmm. so I know that this was a huge problem in the 2008 financial crisis, but mm-hmm. were you aware of the terms? Did the mortgage loan officers do a good job of explaining it to you and exactly how likely it was I'm sure, that rates would change? I'm, I'm sure they did, but I was 28 years old, yeah. you know, back then. And so, and I'm seeing my property value go up, you know, and I'm seeing it, you know, go from, you know, like I started buying some of the pre-construction stuff down in South Florida, like before the land was even cleared, I'd sign a contract with like Pulte Homes or mm. Lennar to buy like a $200,000 townhome. By the time I closed on it, it was worth 400000 But But by the time they got the the land cleared, the thing built, and I got the certificate of occupancy and actually closed, it was worth it's worth 400,000. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I got, you know, it's one of those dopamine kind of things. I got sucked in to the dopamine surge of look at how rich I am you know, <laughs> totally. at, tw- at tw- 28, and 27, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be the next, 
you know, Donald Trump mogul, you know, like not politically, but like uh, <laughs> real estate wise. And, uh, you know, I, I got sucked in to seeing that appreciation and to seeing that I probably, I don't even remember if I paid attention to, you know, the terms of that mm. stuff. I knew they could, I knew they could adjust. I knew I had the option to only pay the interest if I needed to. And I was like, look, the property value is going up. It, it's significantly going up. Um, you know, I could stick a tenant in there. It's going to keep going up, yep. you know, and I'll give you one, one example. I, I signed a pre-construction contract with, I think, Pulte or uh, Lennar, one of those. Um, and the, the house was worth 200. I could have sold it the day I closed on it a year and a half later when they finished the build. I could have sold that $200,000 contract that I had for $450,000 and made a quick 200. But not me, you know, I <laughs> figured it, it'll go up to 600, you know, and that's where greed comes in. You know, that thing sold at foreclosure auction for $65,000, you know, uh, when all was said and done. Mm. So that's, that's, you know, kind of the mess that I got in. I had quite a few of those. And it was just a disaster. I think the discipline from the greed standpoint, as you're just describing, mm -hmm. I think it can only be learned. And from my experience <laughs> through hard lessons, like oh, yeah. how can you say no when it's just going up, 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 right. up. And like the, the loss, right. the fear of loss, miss, missing out is so much mm -hmm. worse. Well, and you saw that with like the Bitcoin craze yep. too, you know, when it went from because I you know and I told Bull this I've been looking at Bitcoin since the wink I read about the Winklevoss twins you know <laughs> being in on it like uh you know back in like 2018 19 I started looking at it when it was in three thousand to five thousand range oh. and uh, I just never I never pulled the trigger on it I, I don't know why I probably should have but um, the same thing with with any kind of monetary uh, system like whether it's real estate whether it's stocks and equity whether it's bitcoin people get sucked in to the appreciation of it and yeah. they don't know like you know they don't know when to take their profits you know and bulls bulls has a really good formula you know on when you should take your profits you right. know uh you know and stuff like that and that's why one of the reasons that i like that account so much is it does give some very solid advice on look don't just leave it all in there. Take, you know, 50% of it or like, you know, and, and kind of take some of your profits, you know, when it's time. So, Yeah, I mentioned this before, but one of the reasons why Bowtie Bull had such a big impact on me is because I went to that investment substack to learn about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. When should I buy it? And the whole mm -hmm. time he just told me you're poor and you need to start a business. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's right. all what the yeah. recommendation was. It was like, yeah. if you only have two grand, don't read this. Very refreshing compared to some of the other, you know, gum road courses. They'll sell you for a hundred bucks when it's not oh, yeah. usable Always. advice. Yeah. I think yeah, you made so, a, uh, a joke about that as well. Like, here's how you start real estate in 30 days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, and the more I see on Twitter, you know, it's a lot of young guys in their 20s and stuff who who have enjoyed some, you know, short term rental appreciation, who have gotten leveraged. But, you know, all you need is 30 pounds of your ass shaved off in a real estate crash. <laughs> then you net lesson learned, you know, and it's, yeah. a, it's a life. It's a life lesson learned. But but it's kind of it's sad that so many people take advantage of others mm. you know, by promising them you know just follow me or do what i do you know and then people just get so sideways with that kind of bad information you know it's it's it's, it's sad to see and it's hard to tell what information is good or bad from the consumer yeah. standpoint when all of them yep. seem to be showing great results and all of this yep. and also the good advice is often the one that requires far more work far more yeah. effort so you don't want that to be the right advice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, for those who may be listening, they may be just wanting to get in the real estate market to buy a new house or to, mm -hmm. you know, just improve where they're currently living. What do you think is mm -hmm. the prediction? You've mentioned this previously. You think prices will be down in 2024? Do you think that would be a good time to buy? Um, just any thoughts there? Gosh, I, I hate to speculate, honestly. That's one of the things I've learned in life is like, nobody has a crystal ball, mm -hmm. you know, and like, if, if I say yes, you know, um, I have a 50-50 shot of being right, you know, <laughs> if I say no, I have a 50-50 shot of being right. So for me personally, what I see is 
you know, I look at the data, you know, right now, um, there's a guy, uh, that I follow, uh, on Twitter, Lance Lambert, that, uh, uh, puts out a significant, I think he writes for fortune magazine or mm. Forbes magazine. And he puts out a lot of good, like true data, data, um, at the national level, you know, and what, what I see is like, I'm speculating here, but I think a, a few people, quite a few people who are in 3% mortgages are not going to want to move right yeah. now, you know, which is going to keep supply down a little bit. Um, where I see the kind of the, the hiccups happening, I want to call them, which, you know, you call a hiccup a crash or what, but I, I'm going to, I think there's going to be some major downtrends in vacation markets. Mm. Um and the reason is, like, I think in areas like, uh, you know, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, um, you know, the Outer Banks uh, area of North Carolina, uh, Orlando, Destin, Panama City, places out in Utah, you know, that just rocketed, you know, in appreciation from short-term rental growth. I think those markets, you had a lot of buyers, and I've mentioned it, I think I mentioned this on the, the sub-stack I wrote with Bull, um, you had a lot of first time Airbnb buyers going into those markets. Mm -hmm. The supply the supply was low, the demand was high, the prices were getting pushed up. I think those people were looking at I I, I don't think, I know, uh, because I sold some homes to some of them. They're, <laughs> they're looking at they're looking at data, uh, like rental income data for Airbnb and short-term rentals from 2020, 2021, 2022. Well, nobody was traveling internationally then. You know, nobody was booking flights everywhere then. People were driving to these, you know, vacation destinations that, you know, uh, didn't get a lot of traffic otherwise, which was, you know, pushing up the rental income for those places. So now you're back to pre-2020 rental income for some of these markets. Um, and the cat, and if you paid a million dollars for a, three bedroom cabin uh and you're expecting you know 150 grand in rent this year for it, you're not going to get it you're going to get 65 mm. you know and then they're going to be upside down fast in their mortgage payment versus their rental income they're going to ne negative cash flow is what's going to happen mm. those are the people that are going to have to dump their properties fast you know and, and with short-term rental i mean prices and some of the markets i build in I mean, we're just insane, you know, it was just crazy. And I was thinking to myself, how are these people gonna cash flow? But but again, I've said before, I'm not I'm not here to make other people money. I'm here to make my family money. You know, right. if they want to buy a house, if they want to buy a house from me that I build, you know, I'll sell it to them. Um, but but my question was always to my realtor that, that I use to to market my properties um and my developments. I, I was like I don't know how these people are going to cash flow, you know? And so I think you're going to, they're going to go through, they're going to go through a one year cycle of trying to make it work. And then they're going to throw in the towel and like, this mm. is not working. So 2024 may be a great time to I, buy I your so. small yeah. vacation home. I think towards <laughs> the end of this year, I think so the summer, the vacation months are about to hit. Yeah. You know, they're going to, they're going to hold on to these properties during the vacation months to, to get that cash flow to kind of help make up for these, past the first quarter dead months it's going to drop off again in you know september october mm -hmm. november it'll pick back up usually around thanksgiving december you know time period and then they're gonna be like i gotta get out of this right you know, kind of thing and then you're gonna see a lot start to hit the market I'm, I'm starting to see prices soften on you know uh not new builds, but existing construction and the markets that I build in. So like these people that paid exorbitant prices are going to just, they're going to make it through the summer. And then I think you're going to see some, a lot of stuff in vacation markets listed. Interesting. I wish I was in a position to be buying my second home, but <laughs> not quite. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you noticed that remote work has changed the real estate prices for, you know, second tier, cheaper cities? Have you noticed that in your experience? Have it become more expensive there? Yeah, yeah, but I think that's going away. You know, I think the remote work thing is kind of coming to a close. Um, I mean, I saw yesterday Elon Musk put out something on Twitter. Everybody has to be in the office, you know, kind of thing. And and I think, you know, more and more uh, CEOs are pushing for people to return to the office. Now, some job, some some positions don't need 
you know, to be in the office and they're always remote work. But I think a lot of the remote work growth where people would buy kind of way out from like in Atlanta, they'd buy 60 miles mm -hmm. from downtown Atlanta because they were, they didn't have to drive into downtown Atlanta anymore, you know, so they'd buy way up in the northeast section of atlanta or the northwest section or the southeast or what i think that's coming to a close mm -hmm. you know i think those areas may see it i don't want to say a big drop but they're they're not going to keep appreciating for sure and i think that i agree that the remote fully remote work is coming to an end a lot of companies seem to be doing hybrid which forces mm -hmm. you to live in the center of the city again even if you're right. only going in three days a week well, this has been super, super helpful and super insightful. Uh, I just want to thank welcome. you again for taking the time. For those who are listening, you know, where would you like them to go now? Direct them to your Twitter and anywhere else? Um, yeah, follow me. Uh, I mean, everybody knows my Twitter, Bowtie Broke. <laughs> so, Bowtie Broke, um, not very broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'll keep posting uh, my contents. My, I don't even have a Substack at this point. I'm so new to Twitter. I didn't even know what a Substack was two months <laughs> ago. You know, um, so I'm kind of I'm I'm conversing with Bull, you know, quite a bit on starting a Substack. You know, and he's just like, whenever you're ready, you know, uh, I'll help you out with it. So I've got some a lot of new construction stuff going on right now. Some deadlines. I'm I'm target deadlines. I'm trying to hit, but um, it's probably when things slow down the next month or two, I'm going to get with Bull to. So maybe start like a, just a free little sub stack for a while, you know, but awesome. right now all my, all my data is free. All my info, <laughs> all my, all my fireball and Swisher tweet, Swisher <laughs> sweet tweets are free of charge. <laughs> well, thank you again and have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you so much.